0: Welcome to Pedagogue, a podcast about teachers talking and writing. I'm your host, Shane Wood. In this episode, I talk with Asal B. Asal is a dear, dear friend of mine. You know, I just so happened to apply to graduate school over 2,000 miles away from home, and Asal just so happened to be there. He's been a father-like figure to me. He's been a mentor. He's been a supporter, an encourager, and he's done so much for me. I'll always be thankful for him and his family. To me, he is family. He's a phenomenal teacher, a great writer, and an even better person. Asalbi B. Inouye is the Associate Dean of the College of Integrative Sciences and Arts at Arizona State University. His research focuses on anti-racist and social justice theory and practices in writing assessments. He is the 2019 Chair of the Conference on College Composition and Communication and has been a past member of the 4Cs Executive Committee and the Executive Board of the Council of Writing Program Administrators. His co-edited collection, Race and Writing Assessment, won the 2014 NCTE 4Cs Outstanding Book Award for an Edited Collection. His book, Anti-Racist Writing Assessment Ecologies, won the 2017 NCTE 4C's Outstanding Book Award for a Monograph and the 2015 CWPA Outstanding Book Award. In this episode, we talk about writing assessment, whether labor is a more equitable measure than traditional classroom assessment standards and students' perception on labor-based grading contracts. Asal, thank you so much for joining us. I want to start by talking about writing assessment. I'm trying to think about How to put this in a way that makes sense for those unfamiliar with your work and even those unfamiliar with using alternative grading methods. So maybe the easiest way to say this is you use a different grading system. You disassociate yourself with traditional assessment practices because, in short, you find them problematic because it focuses on judging language and writing based on quality, which you say reproduces white language supremacy because those standards have historical roots that privilege whiteness. I'm hoping maybe we could begin by you talking about what led you to question traditional assessment practices and how you came to value labor in assessment.
1: Yeah, and I think what we're talking about, of course, is a classroom assessment. So that's typically yoked to grades and, the, and a grading system that's hierarchical, that's point-based, that um, usually uh, judges every student by the same standard or by the same metric um, and then strings them onto a linear line and says, you are better than this person or you get 10, you get 20, etc. So my uh, I started thinking about my uh, rethinking classroom assessment um, by critiquing or having problems with um, the products of a system that's hierarchical and that puts everyone on the same line, so to speak. And I found that there was no way, and I and again, in the initial years, I, I don't think I had this language yet, but I can see now that I, that I was realizing or feeling as a teacher that my system, no matter how I uh, crafted, um, assignments or rubrics or um, uh, collaborated with my students to, to talk about our, my feedback and the grading system. There was no way to account for how much labor they did. And in any classroom, no matter what, every student is gonna labor differently And it's going to have different amounts of labor and different kinds or quality of labor. That is what they do when you ask them to write an essay or to produce an outline or to read something and respond to it. And to me, I found when I really sit down and think about it, the labor of. Um, the, of, of the classroom is really the engine for learning. It's what students take away. It's the experiential thing that they remember. It's a bodily thing that they have. And I wanted to find a system that would agree better with what I think most um, literacy and, uh, and writing teachers understand about the, the practice of writing, which is it takes time, it takes labor, where ultimately when we, when we give an assignment, for instance, we're asking students to spend time and to labor. And I thought, why should I try to um, grade a product of that just because that's all I have to grade? I, I think there might be other things we can establish grades from, and that could be labor. So, for me that the problematic part of the system was that there are a diverse group, a range of students um, in a classroom in any classroom, and they they, they come to labor differently. and I think um, conventional grading systems don't match up very well.
0: Yeah, Sal, so maybe you could talk about what you feel like doesn't match up as well or doesn't align with the values you were seeking, and maybe you could share. What you found to be problematic in traditional language standards or traditional assessment practices.
1: At least in the, in the contemporary university setting, they were created around um, the late um, 19th or the late 19th century. Um, and in that time, there was really only one demographic going to college. That's white males in the United States. At least we're, we're talking about the United States, but we're talking about the United States university system that was trans, uh, that was Um, that was migrated from Europe, the German university system, which, again, one group of uh, (laughs) homogenous kinds of students. And so it's easier to do because they're all having similar backgrounds. All we have to do is look at some of the histories, the really good histories written in our field about um, the origins of literacy assessments that get students into college. So I'm thinking about the origins of the SAT, for instance. What were they looking for at the turn of the century? They were looking for students who had read the kind of books that those harvard and yale carl's professors had read and, and felt were important to to know and why would they think it's important to know not because it offered them some way to to uh to think or whatever it offered them certain dispositions of, in life certain ways to be distinguished as a, as a human being we can have all the social critiques we want of, the, of that but ultimately when you're grading when you're when you're Grading student performances, literacy performances, based on something like that, or that rather based on here's how I, here's what I think the quality of that is, and I'm going to rank it. You're doing a similar thing as what they did before, which is you're saying, how, how close are you to me, me, the teacher, and and my background? And I don't think most of the time when I walk into a classroom that my students come remotely from the places that I came from. <laughs> and from the kinds of background that I came from. A few do, but most of them don't. And that's good for them <laughs> and good for me. And it's that we need to find ways that, that grading systems that help us get away from repro- just simply reproducing ourselves. I think problematic is the right word. Taking that I'm, I'm thinking about Freire's notion of pro- problem of a problematic that which is it's both social and and it's idiosyncratic meaning it's of the individual. So it's it's a system that is problematic because it's necessarily part of my biases. I make judgments based and my grades based on my biases. But it's also, where do I get those from? Where are the boundaries and limits that, that give me those, the history? It's the social uh, aspects of my life and history in, in education and in my classrooms that I, that I gather from that give me the boundaries to let me have, make certain kinds of judgments and, and have certain kinds of biases. So it's truly problematic. I like to replace problematic or put a slash over that and say problematic is also a paradox. It's, it's both and. It's often these things, yeah, that's true. It's also not true. Or there's elements of those things that are good or bad or in this given situation. It's probabilistic, if you
0: will. So I would love for you to talk more about labor and why labor is so important to your classroom assessment model. In part, it's because you connect labor to fairness. In labor-based grading contracts, you write, Trying not to be unfair is the only way one can ensure equitable and inclusive practices in inherently unfair systems. So here we see you mentioning how traditional assessment systems are inherently unfair. They are exclusive. They disadvantage students of color. You offer then labor-based grading contracts as a way to do anti-racist work in the writing classroom or to do social justice work through assessment. Do you mind talking more about labor-based grading contracts? And could you talk about how you feel labor is a more equitable measure?
1: Yeah, um, I should say first that labor-based um, grading contracts are a version of um, what a lot of folks know of as grading contracts that was sure and Peter Elbow and others in Great Britain before them uh, were using in, uh, they were in Great Britain, they were using them in, in secondary education. But also lots of different disciplines have used portfolio systems, um, they might have graded them, um, uh, but they also used uh, essentially labor-based type system. So let me, let me say, my labor-based system uh, was an evolution and not all contracts are, are the same. When we look at the research on how effective um, or what do students say about con- grading contracts, spit out Thielen's um, early study on that um, several years back, maybe 10 or so, 12 years ago, uh, had some you know ambiguous things to say. Students were very ambiguous about it, but they never described exactly what that contract was. What was the uh, ecology that it set up in the classroom? So what are they really responding to? My, uh, my argument w- uh, is that, is that likely they're not responding to a pure labor-based system. They're responding to a system that tried to do both. And it's uh, what, what uh, Elbow and I call a hybrid system, a hybrid contract, which is up to a B, You uh, it's based on labor, and after that it's based on judgments of quality. In my labor-based grading contracts, I just went straight all, call, all um, a labor, it's all based. So if you want, the more work you do, in the class, the more time you spend on the labor of the course, the higher your grade. This still is a problematic. (laughs) So the problematic just shifts, right? It shifts away from the the, the politics of language and the politics of identity uh, in the ways that we've talked about it in, um, in literacy circles. To um, the politics of economics and how much time do I have? And am I a working student or am I a mother and a student? Where, how much time do I have to spend on this class? So it doesn't alleviate me or the classroom from having these system that is still problematic in some way. But I think it does offer in mo- more cases, there's more individual cases, fairer, a fairer system to work from. Grading, labor-based grading contracts that takes the one thing that I know everyone can, can offer in the classroom, or at least that we can try to agree upon, which is how much time do we feel is appropriate for the B? That's the default for us. And then how much more do we think it will require to get a higher grade than that? Whatever that, whatever. And then we determine all those things. And then we renegotiate at midpoint because we've had some, you know, we had six or 10 weeks or whatever it is to live in the contract for a while, see how it works on us, see how we work with it, and then make it another decision. And my, my question is, after we reflect upon our experiences of it in that midpoint, is very simple. Is this contract still fair enough for all of us? And if it's not, what needs to change? And then we, then that's, then it's set in stone at that point and we ride out the rest of the semester. When the limited time we have, life is so damn short. We've only got so much time on this earth. I'm so thankful that um, over the years I've been able to cultivate a stance in the classroom and classrooms that continually um, challenge me. I've said it for years, but um, to make a system fair, it's not, there's no magic to like, like it's a certain method or it's a certain practice. It's all about participation. The more one participates in a system, the fairer they will feel that system is. Fairness doesn't exist in objective systems. There are no objective systems. There are only subjective ones. Fairness isn't really about equality in a system, it's a feeling that we have as people who exist within systems. So my job is to help everyone feel that it is fair. And I think that is the best we can, most honest way we can, we can approach it. And I think when we value each other's labor in that very real way, do this work, you get this grade, no matter what I think of it, no matter what you're causing, just respond, try to respond to us in some way, be meaningful in your response.
0: So what does a labor-based grading contract do for writing teachers? What values is embedded within the labor-based contracts that would make us want to pick this up and make us want to use this in the writing classroom?
1: It certainly does one thing that I think all writing teachers want to to accomplish in their writing classroom, and that is it, it doesn't punish students for embodying the literacies that they are. That they come from. It doesn't say what well, how you have languaged up to this point is not right, is bad, is 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 inappropriate, is whatever. I think those are the wrong messages that we want to send um, as human beings. Like Kenneth Burks um, um, has talked about, um, has said, uh, we are symbol using, symbol misusing animals, and because we are that thing that 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 is very much often what most supremely defines us. Um, as, as language users, symbol users. I think we forget that when we were really young, when we were babies, when we were toddlers, language was a fun enterprise. But when we get to high school and get to college, um, oftentimes uh we it becomes this thing that has been so stigmatized and so um, uh, punished for doing things wrong that, and you can't play around with it and you can't uh, and you can't do you can't do any of the things that that we that come natural to us. I think as human beings, that um, it becomes this thing you stay away from, and that you have these negative associations with, and that all of that comes from grading based on quality, and that and and it's really based on a particular standard, a standard that is not natural or or inherent to any uh, group outside of academia. <laughs> so and. and that's the group that these students are trying to get into and try to work work around and work in. And a lot of students aren't trying to be academics. So why do I want to reproduce that? You know, the person I want to reproduce language users that, that use language and love using language and are, can play with it and can be critical about it. But that doesn't mean they've got to be academics. It just means that they're going to do it in a different way, perhaps for their own uses. And that's what I care most about. Part of my job in my classes has to be helping them reacclimate to a labor-based system. Because we give a lot of in English studies and English classrooms, we give a lot of lip service to this, I think, in different ways. We might not say labor, but we care like what they do and what they're reading and how they're writing. And, but when it comes down to it, we're, if, we're, if, we're not, if we're still grading them on the products using a, a particular standard, then they're going to get another message. And it's going to conflict, and they may not know how to deal or understand that conflict, that paradox.
0: I think, naturally, when we're talking about critiquing traditional systems, then there's going to be some questions, and rightfully so. The tradition is what we know, what we operate from, what preceded us, what we inherited. For some of us, we might have graded or assessed writing the same ways for the last 25 to 30 years. And we might feel comfortable assessing and assigning letter grades. For others, we might be curious about alternative assessments. We might be uncomfortable assigning letter grades to student writing. Now, all of this is us thinking about us and our mindset or our thoughts as teachers. I'm really curious about students and their perception on using grading contracts. How often do you receive resistance from students or how often... Are students uncomfortable using a different system? And what do you do about that? I mean, I'm thinking about positionality and how real or authentic negotiation can really be the first week of class between teachers and students. So what resistance do you receive? And what do you do when a student says, I prefer letter grades?
1: Yeah, that's a a really good question. And it's an important one to be ready for for someone who's new to to labor based grading contracts or even just grading contracts, period, if you're even if you're using a hybrid model, more like an elbow model. Um, So. It's I'm at a point in my uh, teaching life where I don't get a lot of resistance, and it could be my age, it could be how I comport myself, it could be how passionate I am about this particular thing, since it obviously is my research, it is, this, this is my scholarship, and then I walk into the classroom, and I have so much passion for it, they could just be overwhelmed by that, and that can very easily happen, given who I know I am and who I know they are, as you suggested, like that opening couple of weeks is still, they're getting to know me, I'm getting to know them, they're 18 or 19, if we're talking about a first year writing class, they are certainly are not gonna immediately feel like I am authorized to be able to ask questions about about this professor's stuff. So yeah, um, so I do do have to um, help them be resistant. And I think that's really important. It's not just important that they understand the, the reasons for why I'm doing this and why I think it's a good idea and why I want to try to offer something, a new kind of environment for this literacy classroom. But I want them to understand or I want them to, to be able to feel okay with saying, I don't understand like this. I still feel uncomfortable about this. So here's what I do, and maybe this will help help you see some of the resistance. Cause I because I, I I will say I have it's probably been a good 10 years or more since I've gotten the, the, the really hard question, like, I don't like this, this is not, I'd really rather have grades. That it, I just don't get that very much. Now, it could also be that I have, uh, for the last 15 or more years, I have taught in, um, in institutions that are deeply working class, mostly students of color and um, mostly students who, who in, in, uh, by the institution's standards, um, entrance standards, have been designated as quote-unquote remedial, meaning they don't speak the dominant English, or, they, or most of them don't use that dominant English and don't write it um, for the most part. So because of that, most students that I've had come into the classroom, kind of warmed up to this idea when I tell them, hey, I'm not going to judge you on the quality. We're going to talk about that. We're going to we're going to deal with it we're going to work on it we're going to make some goals for ourselves and then but i'm not going to your progress in this class will not be determined by that by by how i think you've done in that in that respect but but nevertheless you will still accomplish the goals you want to accomplish in this class if you're willing to work now so what I do in the first couple of weeks of class to help reveal some resistances or questions um, about the contract and to understand the contract system better is we look at a little bit of it, some, a few excerpts and a few um, short pieces on contracts and the my philosophy that I have behind it, which really boil down to like four or five different statements that we can like dig into and think about or reflect upon. And it has to do with the things we've been talking about, really. So, when we start doing that and we reflect on our own, or at least when I ask my students to do this, um, this is when the, our daily dialogues in that first week or two um, bring up a few questions or concerns. Like, well, does that mean my A is 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 worth less because uh, you know anybody can get an A? And what I typically what I what I'll ask students to do is turn that kind of a question around and ask. What are you assuming here in this system about that other system? Why are you judging this assessment system, this grading system against the conventional grading system simply because it's traditional and conventional because we've always done it that way. Have we not found in history that there are lots of systems and things, assumptions that we've made throughout time that we've come to find out we're not at the best ones to make now when times and people have changed. So I, um, i I want it so we would talk through. Well, oh, maybe it's because I have always done well in, in, in grading systems that graded me on the quad. And it means that I can work not quite as hard. So actually, I'm doing less labor for more for a higher grade because my quality, my product that I produce in, the, in a classroom like this has always been valued more. I know that. I know that system. Oh, so it's not really that. You don't think that this system is a good one? Is that you haven't worked in one like this before, and you're afraid about how much work you might have to do? Um, that's a different sort of uh, problem to tackle. So, uh, so that, so those, that's the kind of stuff that I might get. But most, like I said, most of the time I don't. Um, I, I'm we're pretty good about. Now, I have one other secret weapon that I use with this. And you and I know, Shane, I know you know it. Um, I use, um, I also ask them to, to do a little bit of reading and a little bit of like a, there's a couple of short videos that we watch sometimes together, sometimes on our own. And we do some reflecting on this um, around mindfulness practices and such. And, and. I yoke with my contract uh, a, um, a charter for compassion um, that we talk about and we develop the last set of things. And it's amazing how when you, when you frame a classroom at the grading practices around compassion, we're going to be compassionate to one another. We're going to try to work for the other person in the room. I'm not going to work for myself. Everyone, I've got 29 other people in this room working for me. I don't need to work so hard <laughs> in that respect like they're gonna help me like when I'm doing something wrong they're gonna help me Or that when they think I'm they're gonna give me feedback etc or I'm gonna try to uh, go out of my way to help them. Um, so when we, do, when we frame the classroom and the assessment practice that way it's amazing what kind of birth we'll give each other and how much generosity they'll give me. They give me I, my students are always incredibly generous. And I make sure I thank them for it. I make sure I tell them that I'm grateful for their generosity and their willingness to have a little bit of faith in me and my system and this classroom that they don't know a lot about yet.
0: Thanks to Sal. And thank you, pedagogue listeners and followers. Until next time.